0: All right, we made it. Whew. Thought I was gonna conk out there for a minute. <laughs> uh, long day. I guess it's been a long day, maybe a long week, maybe a long life for some of our people, so it's okay. Sometimes rest is what we need. Um, I'm just going to take a couple minutes for announcements um, right now uh, before we take a little break and um, just want to find some of the little eventos that are going on um, uh, next weekend. I'm, I'm teaching a class or a day long retreat. See if I can get the link for it. Come on. Uh, there it is, and there it is. So uh, this is for uh, the Sacramento Buddhist uh, group, um, and uh, here's a registration link. I'm, I'm going to put this in the in the uh, chat. Oh, it's got a nice picture of me. <laughs> this picture of me and. Uh, the same place where I am right now, So, uh, but smiling. Uh, so if you're interested, it's just gonna be kind of a day long of meditation and Dharma. Uh, we'll have probably a, uh, some breakout group here and there and uh, a couple of talks and a few sittings. Oh, did I send that to, oh, I sent it to the wrong place. <laughs> I didn't uh, to everyone, I gave it to Ileana. Ileana probably is asleep. Uh-huh. No, no, she's here. There it is. So if you're interested, click on that. Um, More, Even more uh, relevant or exciting is the uh, retreat we have coming up. So we're doing a live in-person human meditation retreat, uh, the 24th to the 29th. There's still some room. it's in Northern California. Um, that's a link to the flyer that tells you how to get information. I don't know if we have the price on there. It's, it's like five day. Yeah. We have the price for the different, different, there single double dorm prices on there. And, and we're going to have, you know, if you haven't been on a meditation retreat, it's, it's pretty unique. It's very intense. Um, A lot of the day is spent in silence, doing sitting meditation, walking meditation, meals are in silence. Uh, There are opportunities to interact with the teachers. There's Q and A's and talks. And then we have a couple of, uh, we have some periods for interactions with the group that are uh, very kind of mindful practice. And we do a meeting each night. it's, It's a really nice kind of combination of a traditional silent retreat with Uh, a certain amount of interaction that still uh, allows you to sort of stay within yourself. Um, I see uh, several faces on here of people who uh, are registered for the retreat and, uh, and uh, some people who were on my last retreat in North Carolina. Hi, Bernadette. (laughs) And, uh, so uh, if you can do it, if you can make it, it it's, really, it's really worthwhile. Uh, it's quite interesting. I mean, I've been teaching this, this retreat usually this time of year at, at a different center because that, uh, the center we usually teach it at has been closed. But um, you know, for all the years I've been teaching it nowadays, almost half the people that come are like regulars, which I think says a lot about the value of doing it. Like once people come once or twice, they wanna keep coming every year and make it part of their yearly sort of recovery practice and meditation practice. So um, there you go. Uh, Ileana also put in my website. So um, Ileana, do you have any announcements for Spirit Rock? Uh, I just got in the mail today, I just got the uh, schedule of all the retreats they're having Do you know what their COVID protocol is offhand? I know it's on their website. I'm kind of curious. Um, On the land, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I certainly don't want to misguide anyone. That's fine. Um, We can look it up, Uh, but I will let people know that our COVID protocol for this retreat is that you have to show that you have been um, vaccinated and you will be tested when you arrive with a rapid test. Uh, and so um, bef- we will be creating a bubble there so that people can feel safe being together and not worried about uh, distancing or masking or anything. We'll just be a nice bubble, kind of like the NBA last year, only we won't have a championship or anything like that. And you won't be getting paid. But kind And we won't be on TV. But still, just like the NBA, except for all those things. Um, okay. So, uh, if that's it for now, Spirit Rock I know has lots of stuff going on—regular things, uh, online classes, and day longs and stuff. So uh, check that out if you're interested in just uh, other events. But let's let's take a little about a. Uh, let's see, I have seven fifty-six on my computer, so um, like seven minutes. <laughs> uh, so I'll come back at. 8.03, and that's Pacific time, <laughs> and, uh, and talk. All right, so get up and get away from your computer for a few minutes. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Thanks. When they, uh, for any purpose or to come to this class, I hope you get that chance. Uh, Typically, we would be mulling around now. People would be getting cups of tea, and there'd uh, be a bell, and you'd work your way back to the hall to sit down. Mm. I, thinking, I think I'm tired because I, I've been reading a book about Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, which is maybe my favorite album in the world and uh and it talks about other recordings of his back in the 50s and so l- last night as i was reading it my wife was asleep <laughs> i was like put in earbuds and started going on spotify playing different different songs and uh like i'm a little bit obsessed with the song that's now playing in my head a lot called milestones and uh Today I got in you know, the, the crazy time that we live in. It used to be that, if, as a musician like myself, if you wanted to learn a song, you would have to get the record and you would put it on and you'd listen and then you try to. Pick it. Now I just go on YouTube and get some other better musician to show me how to play it. So I went on there to because it's not a guitar song, but this guy, of course, figured out all the chords on guitar. So I was obsessing over that today. Thinking about how you could turn it into another kind of rock song, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, uh, I have uh, I've been doing some writing, and and uh, some of you have been uh, in the class where uh, my friend Walt Opie and I are uh, doing some teaching and some study around what are called the suttas the earliest teachings of buddhism that have been preserved and uh you know there's something that i've been studying for a long time not in any kind of academic way but really as a way to expand my teaching my understanding of buddhism and to and to you know, my own practice. Um, and because it, you know, I I remember at a certain point realizing that, uh, even though I'd been reading Buddhist books for a long time, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years, I'd never really read what the Buddha taught. And then, then finally, um, you know, a great, the first really great translation came out in 1995, um, of the middle length discourses called the Majuma Nikaya. That's the Pali. The, 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 the suttas originally were in Pali, which is a lot of ancient Indian language. It's a dead language that that um, it's very similar to Sanskrit. But um, you know, I got a hold of the suttas, this this collection, the Majima Nikaya, and you know, open it up sort of thinking it was going to read like Rumi or something, you know, it'd be like poetic or maybe or like like Zen koans or something. But it's not at all like that. It's it's hard to describe unless you read it. Uh, it's very dry and technical in a way and very repetitive because it was originally a, ch- a chanted tradition. Um Nonetheless, like over time, it's something that I've gone from sort of being like befuddled by to being like kind of frustrated with uh, as I try to dig into it. And then finally getting some kind of a grip on it. And then and now kind of having a a love of it. Um, It's kind of like jazz in that way. If you, I remember when I was first exposed to jazz, I was like, what is this? It's like, I can't follow it. What's the melody, you know, but after a while, when you listen to it a lot and you study it a bit, you start to understand its complexities and subtleties. And once you do, of course, then it becomes very rich. I hadn't meant to make that connection tonight. It just was. So, so now as I do, as I will, I'm sort of going, well, how does this connect with recovery? You know? And, uh, and doing a little of that exploration. So, uh, so I've written a, a couple, I've been doing some sort of drafting some, some uh, things that could become chapters of a book maybe, but uh, for now they're just things that are on my computer and one of them has been printed out. <laughs> this is about right effort and, and which, you know, I I was thinking about the fact that I'm going to talk about right effort. I thought, wait, don't I, do I teach about right effort? Like every time or just every other time it's, it's kind of my favorite topic. And, and indeed my, my very first ARMA talk, which was in 1996, first time I was formally asked to give a talk that I can identify. I did it on right effort. And so it's something that I've, I've always been interested in, and, it, and in, the rec- in recovery, it's always interested me too, because it, it, you know, when you get to certain parts of the 12 steps, which was how I got sober, it's not clear what certain things, how certain things are supposed to happen. I mean, there are certain things that are clear, like I'm supposed to stop drinking and using, and then there's this amends process and, or, well, there's the inventory and there's amends and things that are pretty clear, but things like turn it over, you know, or God's going to remove your defects. Like, how does that work? Right. There's, it's just, this persistent question. Um, and so how it works, which of course that's the title of the cha- chapter five in the big book about colleagues anonymous, you know, requires an effort but we know but it's so interesting that the way that effort is portrayed it it's all seems to kind of come down to god in the big in the 12 steps and and in buddhism we don't have that so so let me i'm going to take you through kind of what i've been writing a, a little bit and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about this a couple of suttas uh and maybe maybe I'll get you interested in the suttas. So th- this this first one is called Crossing the Flood, uh, and it's the very first one in one of the collections. It's called the the Connected Discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya, and, and it, it's it's such a big book that when I first got this one, it's like the third one, second or third one I got. When I first got it, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? It's huge. And I was like, well, let me read the first sutta. And it's very short. So this is what happens in the sutta. It says that this, de- what's called a deva, which is kind of a, it's a god with a small g, not not the god you can turn it over to, but some uh, uh uh, a small G God, or I, I think of them as kind of angels, but they, they appear in the suttas. So, uh, and, and this God shows up in the middle of the night uh, and uh, to kind of talk to the Buddha. I, I get the impression the Buddha doesn't sleep very much. You know, I don't think he needs to sleep very much. He's when you're enlightened, just hang out and bliss. this. So. I mean, right away, it's, you know, it's a problem, because what am I supposed to do with this? Am I supposed to believe in this thing, like that there's these gods? And I thought, you know, I thought Buddhism was all about not having a god, or like, I didn't, I came to Buddhism because I didn't want all that magical stuff. Why do I have to deal with this? And, you know, and and some people will say, well, they're not really meant to be real, they're symbolic. But other people, like Ajahn Amaro, who's a great, Thai, um, an English monk in the Thai forest tradition, he's like, no, I think they're real. And I'm like, okay, fine. I don't know what to say, so I just kind of go, okay, good. Let's just accept that that's the, how the story goes because that's not what the what this is about. But it does say that that the deva is of stunning beauty and illuminates the entire grove where the Buddha is. So that, I kind of like that. You know, be kind of cool to be like meditating in the middle of the night. And there's just like this beautiful being that appears. Uh, In any case, the Buddha doesn't seem to bother the Buddha. He's just like, hey, what's happening? So the Buddha, so the deva shows up and says, And it calls the Buddha dear sir in this text. I don't know what that's a translation of, but it's obviously meant to be respectful. How dear sir did you cross the flood? So this is like, you know, a classic kind of question. How how did you become enlightened? And and I think it's a really good image. Uh, It's a, a, you know, powerful image because you can sort of imagine, uh, I sort of see the Buddha standing on the side of this raging river. You know, and and freedom lies on the other side of the river. You know, and that, how do you get across that? Um, and the the translator of the text he says that 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 what this really means, the technical meaning of the flood is it's the power, the powerful forces of sense craving, the craving for existence, views and opinions, and ignorance. So that's. What keeps us stuck, our craving for mental and physical pleasure, our survival instinct, that we just want to stay alive, our belief system, well, that's also survival of the ego, our belief systems that we're very hung up on, and our misunderstanding of reality. <laughs> you can see we have a bunch of problems here we have to deal with, right? These are the ones that we face every time we sit down to meditate. So, you know, uh, this is, uh, you know, the same thing that an addict has to deal with the cra- these cravings, right? And these opinions and our ignorance, which is denial, is our ignorance. That's the essential ignorance of the addict, not realizing that our behavior is what causes our suffering. Though we could also say like for a, for an alcoholic, it's a good image too, because it's just a, a river of booze, you know? <laughs> it's the flood, cross the flood. How do you get to the other side of that? So the Buddha responds, how did you cross the flood? He says, by not halting, friend, and by not straining, I crossed the flood. It's very simple, okay? By not halting, by not straining. So then the deva is like, well, how'd you do that? And the Buddha said, Well, when I came to a standstill, then I sank. But when I struggled, I got swept away. So, in this way, by not halting and by not straining across the flood, that's the whole sutta. There's a couple other lines in it, but that's the whole teaching. By not halting and by not straining, you know, when I halted, I sank you know what I, I mean i just uh, you know it's so real like if when i stop if i give up if i if i don't do anything i'm just going to sink you know and to me there's like kind of sinking mentally you know like ugh but also just kind of collapsing in you know, my life. I have to keep going at persistence. It's not like necessarily that I get it right, you know, it's that I keep showing up. This is like a critical principle of recovery, that I keep showing up. You know, the the principle of showing up is so important in recovery that if somebody's if you want to know how about someone's recovery. You don't really say to them, well, are you happy all the time? <laughs> you know, When you stop drinking, did your everything in your life work out? You just say, how long have you been in recovery? And that's kind of accepted as the, as the primary thing. If, if someone's made it for 20 years or 10 years or five years or th- six months, it tells you a lot, you know, like, okay, that's, you know, they, they've gotten that far, so not halting, but not straining. You know, this is, this is what, uh, I think this is kind of what the role of God is mm. in the steps, <laughs> which I, I know that's, maybe that sounds like a bit of a stretch, but, and when you turn your will and your life over to the care of God, it's like, you're not, you're not halting right? You're continuing your work, you're continuing to show up, you're doing the, you're not, you're not saying, oh, God, you know, you're going to do everything now, I'm just going to kick back. No, you're showing up for your recovery, you're showing up for your work, for your family, for your relationships, for yourself, you know, you're doing all the work. But you're not trying to control the results, right? The essential thing, because you realize, like, that's where we get into trouble our expectation, that craving for things to be the way we want it to be. So this is what's called in Buddhism, right effort, having this balance of not halting, but not straining. So there's another, another sutta uh, that's even sort of more explicit in a way um and this one uh it has a little bit of magic in it too <laughs> i can't i always look for like i just think it's so interesting how there will be this magic the stuff that's either unbelievable or hard to believe like Davis. but then there's stuff that's just so down to earth like not halting not straining oh okay and I mean, I can throw out the magic, you know, I, I don't need the magic, but I don't want to pretend that it's not there in the suttas. I kind of, have, I want to like, okay, I'm going to respect that because it's got to be there for a reason. Like, so this one starts, it's, a, a, it's about a monk named Sona. And Sona, Sona is known for having a tremendous uh, capacity for energy, you know? Somebody who really can hang in there, can do it. But Sona is having a a hard time because uh, his expectations about his meditation are not working out the way he wants. And it's pretty apparent that he's experiencing restlessness which is what happens when you have too much energy i don't know if you've ever noticed that but you know if you have you know there's, there's you can take drugs and they get, get rid of it but it's not really the best approach in fact we'll talk a little bit about healthy approaches so he's got this restlessness and he's thinking why am i maybe I'll just quit you know I'll go back to my family his family was rich you know it's like maybe I'll just go back to my family and I'll just be really generous and then I'll get lots of good karma and that'll be good, you know. And the Buddha, here's where the magic comes in. The Buddha is meditating not far away. in the same city. as on the Vulture Peak at Rajagaha. And the Buddha's like, hey, Sona's having thinking about leaving the, the robes. I got to go see Sona. So <laughs> the Buddha has the capacity kind of like Star Trek. He just like zips down. He's there. Uh, and it shows up beside Sona, and uh, Sona seems to accept this. Sona doesn't say anything about, like, how'd you get here? It's just like the Sona's like, oh, here's the Buddha. And and but the Buddha says, So, is this what you were thinking? Like, you were thinking maybe I'm gonna quit, you know, being a monk because you know, I'm having trouble meditating, it's like, yeah. So this is what the Buddha says. I'll read the quote. He says, tell me, Sona, in the past when you lived at home, weren't you skilled at the lute? You know what a lute is, right? It's an ancient stringed instrument, like a guitar, only not as good. And he calls the Buddha Bhante. Yes, Bhante. Well, what do you think, Sona? When its strings were too tight, was your w- lute well-tuned and easy to play? No, Bonte when its strings were too loose, was your lute well-tuned and easy to play? No, Bonte. But Sona, when its strings were neither too tight nor too loose, but adjusted to a balanced pitch, was your lute well-tuned and easy to play? Yes, Bonte. So too, Sona, if energy is aroused too forcefully, it leads to restlessness. And if energy is too lax, This leads to laziness. Therefore, Sona, resolve on a balance of energy, achieve evenness of the spiritual faculties, and take up the object here. Yes, Bhante. So just as with crossing the flood, if the energy is aroused too forcefully, that's the struggle, the straining, you get swept away. If the energy is too lax, if you're halt, then... It says it leads to laziness or in the the earlier metaphor, you sink. So obviously, as a musician, I find this a particularly appealing image. Uh, You know, uh, you don't have to be a musician, though, to to understand. it. It makes perfect sense, right? So just to bring this back to recovery a little bit, we can think about, well, we certainly know what happens if you let up on your program, right? If you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't really feel like going to meetings. I don't know, doing service. It's so annoying to have to help all those other people. Like, you know, I haven't had a drink in a while. I'll be cool. It's like, really? That's like, <laughs> next thing is your cousin's wedding and they, pass the champagne around. The other side of it, the too much energy is like, I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to not drink, right? White knuckling it, you know, which is just not an effective strategy, right? We know this is, this is again, why we have God in the steps, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Keep running into that guy. And, and so, We're we're kind of put in this position again of like, oh, boy, you know, it's not this over here. It's not that over there. It's somewhere, you know, this middle way, right? This is what the Buddha talked about, a middle way, a a way of balance, which, uh, you know, for addicts, sort of an unnatural thing (laughs) with addicts. It's like, just give me the thing that I should just do wholeheartedly. I'll just drink until I die or I'll just like be really good and not do anything wrong, you know, and, and, and this idea that I'm going to control it, or, you know, we can see that there's this, these habits, these addictive habits are to go to extremes, uh, and to think that we can run things. So uh, one of the things that comes to mind when I when I think about this in terms of recovery is the serenity prayer because the serenity prayer is also about kind of balancing effort, right? Sort of to the, to accept the things I cannot change is not straining, right? I can't change it. So I'm not going to strain, but I'm going to have the courage to change the things I can. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to have that. I'm going to apply effort to the degree that it's appropriate. And, You know, I need the wisdom to know the difference, which is really having mindfulness to be present and see, oh, look what's happening right now. What is happening? Oh, I've either, you know, I see that I've got this urge to control something that I can't control. Let me let go. Or I see, you know, I'm really kind (laughs) of just becoming passive, you know. Oh, well, whatever, you know, it is how it is. And, and, you know, withdrawing from life and realizing, you know, neither of those is is a workable solution. So, you know, as I was thinking about this over the last couple of days and today, I early last night, as I was thinking about this, uh, sometimes I like wake up in the middle of the night and start (laughs) working on these ideas. I was thinking about some of the words from the big book again. So in how it works, that chapter, chapter five, the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, it starts by saying that the people who succeed thoroughly followed our path, So, okay, they're not halting, right? They're they're really working on it. And that they practice rigorous honesty. So that's not the same kind of effort as meditation, but it's a kind of, you know, engagement, right? It's not halting by any means. And that they'd be willing to go to any length. So again, there's a lot of like, okay, we beg you to be fearless and thorough. It's like, okay, they're really trying to get us to be to work at this, but then you know, then they say, you know, uh, that they want you to do all this, uh, you know, to get to God, you know, which you know, the effort involved seems to be about finding God, because you get to this point where you say, we asked His protection and care with complete abandon it's like okay and that's where like i kind of hit a wall right i mean uh, and and i'm not saying that there is no god or that you can't believe in god but i don't believe in that kind of a god i don't believe in um it, you know a god that i just like pray to god and then he fixes everything or handles everything but i do believe in a process and what I, what I think, I, again, I think this is talking about the same process, which is this process of showing up and not halting, but at the same time, not trying to control it yourself. You know? And that in there is kind of where God in the steps resides, which is this trust Trust in, we could say, in right intention. Trust in in karma. If I do the right next right thing, as we say, that the results will be beneficial. That the results will, you know, ultimately, uh, and just also just be good. Be good results if I, and and I don't think you need an external God for that, you know, if you believe in cause and effect and you believe that there's some moral framework to the universe, which maybe that's the big step, then you can see that you just have to keep showing up and doing the next right thing to the best of your ability and things are going to unfold. Now, that's, you know, Not easy because life is difficult. You know, even when we do the next right thing, lots of things go wrong. I made a list of a lot of the things that can go wrong. (laughs) You lose a job. Someone you love dies. You get sick. You fail a class. Your car gets stolen or breaks down. The one you love rejects you. Fire, floods, or wind destroy your home. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) The Buddha makes it even simpler. Everyone is bound to age, get sick, and die. No amount of effort will allow you to avoid those things. So don't strain. But this doesn't mean I shouldn't go to the doctor or study hard in school or lock my car or protect my home or try to find love, you know? So don't halt. Right? The The big book, you know, has some sympathy for us when it says, many of us exclaimed, what an order I can't go through with it. You know, it reminds us that there are these signposts, that that these signposts are ideals, but that few of us can sustain or achieve that kind of perfection. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. But well, we don't halt because we're progressing. But we don't strain because we're not trying to be perfect. Yeah. So we realize we're engaged in a process. The path isn't so much leading us to a goal as the goal is to stay on the path. That's not a bad line. I might repeat it. (laughs) The path isn't leading us to a goal. The goal is to stay on the path. So, I mean, we can say, the Buddha is saying that there is a goal, but which is this enlightenment. But it's apparent that the way to get there isn't to focus on that. You know, don't, just don't halt, and don't strain. But, you know, and don't, and don't sink and get swept away. But if you do sink, try to come back to the surface and start again. And if you do get swept away, try to find your way back and start again. That's what we do when we relapse. We keep coming back. You know, I, I mean, I, it's, been, it's a bunch of words. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't mean it in, that in a What I mean is that's a lot of words to explain. What is really a simple idea, but I think it's just a really hard idea for us to, to live. And, and bringing it back to this experience of meditation, it's so difficult not to strain in meditation. I think uh, particularly when people first learn meditation, there's a tendency to strain, to kind of really try to, I'm going to really stay with the breath. And then if you can't do it, which rarely is anybody capable of staying with the breath for a long time, then go into this set of recriminations or self-judgment or annoyance or frustration. And so then you can go to the other way. Oh, well, forget it. I'll give up and halt, right? So you've gone from being swept away to halting and doing just exactly the two things that Buddha says you shouldn't do. So the challenge is... The, the, what, what the Buddha doesn't say, but that I will say, is that the challenge is to keep going despite the fact that it doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> you know, like so many people, when they first start to meditate, either think they're doing it wrong or give up, you know. Um, or think there's something wrong with them. It's either like I'm doing the technique wrong, or I'm just no good at this, or my brain is so wrecked from all that crack that I, I'll never be able to meditate. You know, and we come up with a story that allows us to halt. And you know, and, and I was sharing recently about my first experience of falling into a deep place in meditation was in the midst of a long retreat, three week long retreat, but in which I'd been just stirred up like for 10 days. And it was like, I, I had a lot of faith, fortunately, that kept me going, even though it didn't seem like anything was happening. But when it, when it did crack open, it was, uh, when I look back on that, I see that the reason it cracked open is because I didn't halt. And I, I may have been straining, but I sort of stopped. I think what happened was I didn't halt and I kept stra- but I kept straining. And then at a certain moment, certain point, I stopped straining. And the momentum created by meditating 24 seven. Well, no, that's not 24 10, because it was 10 days of being on a retreat for that long that just came to fruition you know and and that's how karma works there's cause and effect and but we don't get to decide when the effect arises all we can do is apply the cause we can take the action we can't create the results you know so People who believe in God say, well, God controls the results. People who believe in the law of karma say, karma, the law of karma controls the results. It, you know, all I know is that I don't control the results. But what I do know is that I'm not going to be able to grow a tomato if I plant an apple tree. Cause and effect. If I want to develop my meditation practice, I need to keep showing up on my meditation cushion. If I want to stay sober, I have to keep doing the work of recovery. It doesn't mean that I'm going to enjoy it or that it's going to seem like it's working or that there aren't going to be struggles along the way, but it means that what is going to blossom out of that, what is going to grow out of that is going to be the thing that I planted the seed for that the recovery and the, 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 the peace and insight that come from meditation, those things are gonna come if I persist, you know, if I don't halt and I don't strain. So um, wow, there's a long question in there. So I, I'm gonna uh, leave it at that for now.